Welcome to a Cigar Hustlers Podcast, episode 66. This is part two of the Skip Martin Chronicles. Hope you're comfortable, because we're going to keep going. Enjoy the show! Um, you know, what's the average churn ratio of, of like pairs in, in the factories in SLE? Um, I think you know the answer to this. But I, I do. <laughs> well, I know all the answers to the majority of the questions that I'm fucking asking um, you. Um, so the majority of people who work in cigar factories are not actually employees of the factory. Right. And what I mean by that is you're kind of more like a temporary employee. Mm-hmm. And then twice a year they let you go. They right. give you a vacation payout, and then you come back, and you kind of essentially start your tenure over again. Right. Particularly in November, you leave, and then you kind of come back in January. Right. Or the end of November. So the reason why they do that is because there's a differentiation in the labor laws of Esteli where there are career employees, and then there's just employee employees. Right. Right? So like seasonal employees. So like, it's like you know, part-time, full-time shit here. The guy who runs the farm is a career employee. Right. The This week it's 50 people. Next week it's 100 people. The week after that it's 300 people. Then for six months there's nobody. Right. Those guys are seasonal employees. Right. Factory people, they kind of take advantage of the rule a little bit, and they essentially let them go and then bring them back. Right. Um so the reason why they do that is because once you become a career employee, you have to essentially start funding a pension, which is called indemnization. And essentially they earn so much per year that you pay them out at the end of their career. Right. Um, the other thing that happens is, is while they're working, they earn um, a seventh day. They get paid for Sunday. They earn a, a 13th month called Aguinaldo. And uh, Arlen would be the one to ask this question to, by the way. <laughs> She's the one that knows all these rules. Um, but what happens is a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. Right. And a sl- big number of people in the factories borrow money from the factory. Mm-hmm. Like Preston was what they call uh, basically a payday loan, company right. store loan. So people come and they'll be like, when I first started in Nicaragua, it was, you know, we had f- our first two employees. The very first thing they did was borrow money. Right. And it was, you know, and then the next three employees borrowed money. And then I, and then I started realizing that everybody's on these, you know, they borrowed $400 and they're paying it back $5 a paycheck or something. Right. And, it's, and then what happens is, you know, a lot of the factories won't let them get too far over their skis and so that their la- last pay period they can always cover the entire amount if they decide to leave. Right. Um, the other thing that happens is people will just leave so they can get a payout on their accumulated vacation in Aguinaldo. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you if you work January, February, March, April, and they won't let you take a loan, then you'll just leave, get paid out, you know, three-quarters of your vacation, whatever, and then you go to another factory who, who, who just – a lot most right. people who are boat rollers and bunchers – <clears throat> they've worked in 10, 15, 20 factories. Right. And they constantly rotate. Right. And people who sort tobacco, same thing. People work in packaging, even more so. Um, so in our factory, a couple things 
happened early on. One, I just don't like the idea of my employees owing me money. Right. It's not a good look. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, being, you know, a genius, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the first guy ever, obviously, to think, hey, we'll just put everybody on direct deposit. Right. Because everybody pays payroll in cash. Everybody lines up outside of the office at the end of the day on Friday. Every day you pay everybody a whole week's pay in cash, and then they put in an envelope, and then they live out of the envelope for the week. And I thought, well, one of the big problems, the reason why these people have to borrow money is because they don't have a savings account. Right. So I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I went to our Bank of America rep, came over back, uh, and they came over and said, well, we'll give all of your employees um, a checking account and a debit card and a savings account. And I'm like, well, that's what we need to do. That's genius. And so um, we did that, and there was like a near revolt. Right. <laughs> right. They all lined up on Friday. Where's my money? Hey, here's a card. All your money's at the <laughs> your bank. Your money's right here on this card. They're like, fuck this. They all went and lined up at the ATM. Not, not one of them knew how to use an ATM. They're immediately pissed off. That lasted about two weeks. Right. Before they literally tarred and feathered me. So. Genius. Part of the byproduct of that was, though, that everybody ended up with a savings account, which they'd never had before. Because you can't really open. Like, if you're a roller in a factory, going to the bank and actually opening a bank account is not easy. Right. But because of our relationship with the bank, we did it this way, so they all actually all ended up with a bank account. So um, we went to um, back, and and so I started my second genius idea Mm -hmm. was, here's what we'll do. You tell us how much every month you want to put into your savings account. We'll do a, a deduction out of your check. You won't get that in cash in your envelope. We'll put it in the bank, and then we'll match it. So you can do up to 100% of your paycheck. Right. So if you make $80 a week or $100 a week, if you put $5, we'll match $5. If you do $20, we'll match $20. If you put the whole paycheck in, we'll match 100%. Right. But you have to put it in your savings account. We're a co-owner of your savings account. And then next time you come to me and say, I need my roof fixed, I need to buy a motorcycle, I need school supplies, whatever it was, then we'll let you take that money out. So anything that we would give you a loan for, we would allow you to take 100% of that savings out for that purpose. Right. So it's essentially borrow the money from yourself. Right. And we're funding half of that. So that also went over like a lead balloon. (laughs) 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 Because there there was, uh, at that time, I think we had 35 employees. Um... 12 of them were guys. So I think like 23 women and one guy contributed to that. And the one guy was because his wife worked at the factory. Right. And she made him do it. So that didn't go over well um, in terms of participation because it was like $2.50, $5. I mean, it's kind of right. fucked up. I mean, these guys don't make a lot of money. Um, and then what I realized, what people were still coming and asking for loans for were mainly school-related things or health-related things. So, you know, again, because I'm the smartest guy in Esteli, right. and everybody else has already learned all these things, by the way. So I said, well, here's what we'll do. I have a doctor. Um, my doctor's not super expensive. Instead of getting, you know, we don't have enough people to have like a health clinic at the factory like AJ and Placencia and those guys do. Right. But also the int system is total dog shit. It's like worse than sick call in the Navy. I mean, it's you show up, sit for six hours, get who knows how many more diseases, and then they give you some ibuprofen or something. Right. So we 
start allowing to pay to for them or their kids to go to the to the private clinic mm-hmm. which is almost i mean it's almost no money it's it's negligible and we would also pay for half of their prescriptions because we do 100 percent health care coverage for our employees in the u.s and at the end of the day we didn't have a lot of people getting sick really it was more their kids right and then their kids would get sick then they would be out of work for three days right and then that's 1200 cigars and then you know et cetera, et cetera. It starts to add up it scales yeah so yeah. it's like okay so since we've started esteban owned half the factory i owned half the factory and i never took my money out of the factory so we had this huge account that was kind of not huge i mean right as, it has know, to leave sense. We had this chunk of money that would just accumulate. Right. I didn't want to pay taxes on it because if I took it out, I had to pay 40% tax on it. Right. So what I did is I just moved my share of the business into this fund that would fund the matching for the savings accounts, that would fund the private doctor, that would fund um, – so the next thing was uh, people would ask for school supplies right. So or school stuff. So And it's everything from my kids – and so I have two kids. One's in public school, so I have to buy a uniform and notebooks and pens. And then some of them, it was my daughter's in medical school, and she wants to matriculate, and I have to pay the $500 fee to get it out. Right. So, so what we started to do at that point was we said, we'll pay 100% of any education-related expenses right. as, long as, you're, as long as they're getting good grades. Right. So after so we would fund the school supplies and uniform stuff up front and then we would matriculate if they if they graduated with good grades. So we started doing that. So we started to chip away at all these reasons people would borrow money. Right. So eventually I originally just we just eventually put a policy in place we would not lend money anymore. Which if a factory won't do payday advances or lend money that's be one of the first reasons why people would leave. Right. But because we'd addressed a lot of the reasons um, we never had that issue. Right. And at this point, the only things we really lend money for now are for someone to buy land or to buy things like they can't go to the bank and get a loan. Right. So we've had someone that was like our second or third employee, um, Sylvia, who recently just bought some land two years ago. She borrowed money. We paid half of the land. She paid half. She eventually paid that loan back. Now we gave her a new loan to build a house. Right. Esteban's like the general contractor on the house. <laughs> which, if, if you know how cheap and <laughs> it's been the greatest thing for her having him. Right. There was like a whole uh, delivery of bricks that weren't the highest quality. He rejected them. It was great. Right. It's a great story. Like this isn't Lajero bricks. Send us back. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, it's not because I'm some big altruist. Right. It's because... First of all, it's very inexpensive. Right. Um, I make really good money on the Roma side. I mean, I had money before Roma. Right. Um, Arlen and I live a pretty decent life. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the on the factory side, I haven't had to really put a lot of my own money in. It's really just my share of the factory profits that take care of these things. Right. But the the main thing is this: we have twelve pairs. Okay. Um, out of those twelve pairs. We're one of the very so Arlen's sister works at another factory, uh, right. that's, that's been in Nicaragua a long time. An undisclosed name, yeah, that we can't say. Her parents actually worked this for this factory for decades. Okay, and um, she's rolled the same size cigar for like nine years. Right. If she wanted a job at our factory, she couldn't get a job at our factory because she only does that one size. Because she only knows how to make that one size in the way that they make it. Right. Everybody in our factory has to be able to make a five by fifty. Perfecto on Monday right. and Tuesday, switch Tuesday afternoon to making a 5x56, switch to making a Churchill on Wednesday, right? Right. doing Cro-Magnon on Monday and Tuesday, doing uh, 
on a paddock on Thursday and Friday. I mean, there are four or five pairs that do the more difficult sizes, but everybody switches stuff all the time. And if they weren't there uh, long term, that's a very hard thing to replace. Right. So um, we have 67 employees. In the entire history of our factory, we've only lost, I think, seven employees. Okay. Like two have gone to Spain. One is a nurse, went to Spain to be like a take care of old people. Right. Um, one of them is, is doing um, daycare stuff in Spain, and then money, you can't resist it. Right. Um, one of them became a preacher. One of them was an alcoholic. Right. I like <laughs> right. that guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> Same guy, preacher and alcoholic? No. That's a different oh, guy. Okay. Totally different guy. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's one or two that just didn't work out. Right. Um, like a packaging girl and a, and a, a one of our cleaning ladies uh, right. had a baby. She left. She, she had had enough of being a cleaning lady. Right. She had a college degree and... She was way underperforming. Right. And then we've had a few people that, you know, we've paid their way through school. They've graduated as a nurse or as a social worker or as whatever, and, and they've moved on. Right. Gladly. You know, I, if they didn't, I would have fired them. Right. <laughs> you know, go. Seriously, go do something right. with your life. But, you know, making, making cigars or working in a cigar factory, um, a good roller or buncher can make us m- more than a teacher and – about as much as a, like a, a notary, like a lawyer, right, or a nurse. Wow. We have three or four people that work in our factory that are finished nursing school, right, and and they make more in cigars. packaging cigars than they make as a nurse. Yeah, but your churn ratio is extremely low. Obviously, our churn ratio is really low. To your original question, right? Um, the 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 turn ratio in general in factors is pretty high. Right. I mean, there are factors that have. This lady's been here for thirty four years. This lady's yeah, been here twenty course. years. But, but like, I go into Nico Sueno and it's the same faces. Almost every yeah, almost you've been there for years and right. it's the same people. Right. At at the there's almost every factor has a sign that says expen- experienced rollers and bunchers needed. Right. Right. I can see that. I mean, I could tell the new guys that come in, but you know, a year later they're still there. You yeah. know. We did have one guy. He, he's one of the younger guys who, whose main job was kind of moving tobacco around mm-hmm. and and, um, and um, handing the tobacco to the bunchers and that stuff. And <laughs> it was funny because we were like watching CNN. S one had told me, "Hey, he he went to the border." I'm like, "Well, why did he go to the border?" He's like, "He's going to the U.S. to work." And I'm like, "Okay, like, did he get a letter? Did he get a visa? No, he's just going." So he did the whole, you know, caravan thing. Or yeah, whatever? basically. No shit. No bullshit. We're watching TV in the factory one day. There he is. There he is walking, <laughs> walking down the road. Cuando él es no So one day we're watching TV in the factory. No bullshit. It's Alvarito right on the on the on the because we have a TV right in the front of the, right. the factory. He's right there on the thing, like kicking rocks, like being interviewed by the <laughs> by a border control. I'm like, what a knucklehead. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, dude, you did something that was pretty impressive. Um, a few weeks ago, you sent me a video, um, and you were by hand. You were weighing the cigars to the fucking gram. I'm pretty good at that. Esteban's yeah. better at that than Sorry. I am. But yeah. Sorry. Right. I got excited. I, you told me about it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I can. Um, I mean, you know, when you're picking up cigars all day, every day, you can, you can I'm, differentiate. I mean, but by the fucking gram, dude. Pretty. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, one two grams. I mean, there were a couple. I think I made a mistake on, but yeah. But overall, the ratio is pretty. Uh, you're pretty accurate. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Right. I sometimes I'll go up to the table and I'll pull two or three aside and I've said these are underfilled. Right. And then they'll be like, No, they're not. I'm like, I bet they weigh less. 
Like, right. How much you want to bet? Like, if these weigh less, you got to make me five for free. And then uh. we're like, okay. So then we'll weigh them and we're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about macho at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. So like, so Macho is one of the the seven that doesn't work right. anymore. He never was officially an employee. Right. Macho is like a seventy. ¿Cuánto años tiene Macho? Like seventy eight, mm. Like he's like seventy five, seventy six years old. Right. He was our security guard for like the weekends. Right. Actually, in the beginning, it was our full time overnight security guard. Right. He'd come in, no shoes, button a button shirt, eating R- fish or whatever the fuck right. it was he would eat. And he would just stay in the factory, make sure it didn't burn down at night. Right. Now we have <laughs> Luis. I mean, you know, if you if you broke down, just if you could identify the great strides that that has happened with Nika Sueno and Romacraft, I mean, those two guys are a great comparison from one end of the pendulum to the other. So here's a story about Macho. Okay. So. Macho. Macho. Yeah. I always called him Macho. Yeah. <laughs> but Mancho is his name, like Nancho. But right, no, but yeah. listen, the gringos know him as Mancho. Yeah. That's what I call him. <laughs> so and he was every bit of Mancho. You know? So Mancho, his you can't wife, go, you can't call him Mancho now. We're sticking with this. Como se llama la, la esposa de Mancho? Uh, his his wife's name is uh, oh fuck, I forget her name. Like Marita or something. Right. I don't remember her name, but. She's like 20 years older than him. Right. So she's like 90 years old. Right. Or 95. She's older. She's never owned a pair of shoes in her entire life. No shit. She lives like around the block from Esteban. Mm -hmm. Has for forever. And she would get like her Sunday red dress with a hat with no shoes. Like, it's crazy. Right. So Mancho was just one of these like, you know, odd job kind of dudes. Right. I mean, he's, he's like twice my age, but I mean, the guy could like... Chop down a tree and chop wood for three days without right. without getting tired. I mean, he's that kind of guy. So, <laughs> one day, um, Esteban gets a hint that there's something weird going on. So Sunday, he goes to church. Macho comes in. He's ha- hanging down the street. Mm-hmm. Some chick walks into the factory. Right, like 50 years old, so like a youngin. Right, <laughs> like 55, 56. Right. She comes in the factory. So Esteban and, and Uraldi and Anthony come into the factory, knocking on the door, and Macho takes like 10 minutes or five minutes to come open the door. So finally he opens the door, and um, he's, got, cause he's got it latched from the inside, right? Right. So, um, so Esteban's like, Who, who's here? Like, nobody. It's like, no, we know somebody's here. So they, they're going around looking because they saw this, this woman walk in. Right. So they end up going to the, to the girl's bathroom, and there's this butt-naked, 60-year-old woman, you know. And they're like, what's going on here? And he's like, that's my wife. He's like, we've known your wife for 20 years. That's not your wife. That's my other wife. That's my other wife. So he's like he's like 78 years old banging a chick on the job right? in the bathroom. Totally busted. So you're all just like making a video of the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to see that. So um, Macho didn't. He, he didn't lo- pan out. He lost his job then. Right. Day. That was that was the that was the end for but he, but he earned my respect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see him? Uh yeah, we see him all the time. Yeah? Yeah, he's a good guy. Just kinda stops in, says what's up? No, we, I mean, when I go to see Esteban or uh Jose Mesa when I go over there because he's neighbors with Jose Mesa, so Right. It's a small town, man. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So can we talk about the USS Key West now or no? <laughs> no. Oh shit, dude! I mean, 
I, mean, I did you bring up the the strip club in the castle in Castleberry? I mean, that's you know that's entirely up to Skip if he wants to talk about the strip club. The, the House of Babes, right? Back in across from the Highlight Place, right? All nude, all nude. Back yeah. in what? I don't think they do nude now. That would have been ninety. No. Um, not over there. They didn't over there before they shut it down. That would have been like yeah. ninety. I think it was called Circus Circus when it closed down. There was like a headliner place that was like you know like the traveling strippers would go to, and then a little ways down there was the House of. Ba- it was in Castleberry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is why now you look. It's, now it's that, what? The whole area. Well, the. Uh, but this this place is no longer there. It's no longer Rachel's there. is over there. No, yeah. Is it Rachel's? Okay. Yeah. Rachel's is over there by I was Sam's. Say Scarlet's, but Scarlet's is down in South Florida. Right. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Uh, we've. I mean, when I was in the na- early days in the Navy, we shut down some strip clubs. Right. There was a place in Fort Lauderdale too called. The booby trap? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you speak place like that over in Lee Road too, called the booby trap. No, booby trap in Fort Lauderdale is still there, definitely. Yeah, so we shut Not that. that I know. We I'm shut that saying. place down a couple times. <laughs> um, I don't know. So See, you, you want to know my origin story, like uh, how I grew up, or? I mean, that's up to you if you want to tell that story, you know? I mean, like, I honestly didn't think that this interview was going to go the way that it did. Like, I had to ask <laughs> questions and shit. Like, I thought that I was just going to kind of sit back and you were just going to kind of go off. But, you I'll, know, I'll you, you, you kind of held back. I'll huh? tell you an interesting factoid. Okay. So when I was in boot camp, I was in the nuclear power program, so I had to have a security clearance. And then um, I got pulled out of formation one day, like my third or fourth week of boot camp, and uh, the FBI – called me out you know like you know martin you know go to this thing and so i go to this room and there's like these two fbi guys Mm -hmm. sitting there and they're like hey we got some questions to ask you right and i'm like you know of course you're like shaving and you've been beaten down for three weeks and so i'm like oh shit i'm fucked i don't like what's going on here right so um they said uh your your application or your security clearance application was incomplete um, we, we've been doing the background check, and you, you've got one of the oddest background checks we've ever done. So, you know, like, fess up. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> right. So, I had it turned out, and I didn't even know this number at the time. I had gone to 67 different schools between K and 12. No shit. Oh wow. So, um, my uh, my mother died when I was young. Right. So I uh, I have seven older sisters. Um, I was a late baby. My mother was actually already divorced from my dad when I was born. And uh, she had a boyfriend, uh, domestic violence. Right. I mean, that's all I remember when I was a kid is, you know, the domestic violence and everything. And um, so when I was four, uh, she, the guy she was dating, the, the guy, the guy uh, she came to pick me up at, like, the lady who kept me during the day. Right. And we were walking out of the front door, and he pulls up. She's walking me down the sidewalk, shoots her in the head. You know, she died. Right. So, you know, that's that's not a great way to right. start, right? So, um, my sister at that time, my oldest sister was 18, and so she had just had a kid of her own. It was like a year, year and a half younger than me. Right. And I was like this close to going to the orphanage the texas boys home or whatever right and then they she convinced the courts to allow her to become my guardian so i ended up growing up with my sister who had her own long list of dysfunctions right um drug addict alcoholic codependent right uh, also in 
domestic violence uh, my whole life growing up. Right. So, you know, what would happen is my aunt, my mother's sister, owned a bunch of uh, rental houses in, like, the the shittiest parts of town. Right. Right? You know, like $15,000 houses. So... My sister, who who got a divorce from her first husband early on, like but I was like six or seven, we would move into one of these shitty, you know, slumlord houses that my aunt owned, mm-hmm. and the Pleasant Grove or right. Wilmer Hutchins or um, you name a shitty part of Dallas Fort Worth, I lived there, right, guaranteed. And so we would move in there, live there for three or four months until she would, my aunt would get sick of her not paying on time or something. Of course, it's a struggle. She ended up having two more kids. Um, you know, ha- being a single woman with four kids obviously is not, right. you know, the easiest thing. Yeah, no doubt. So there were times growing up, because my mother and father both passed away, uh, my Social Security survivor benefits were, like, the only income coming into the house. Right. So we would, you know, she would find some boyfriend at, you know, fucking the honky-tonk right. or whatever, and we would end up moving in with that guy. And then the, there would be domestic violence, and then the sheriff would come in the middle of the night. We'd haul ass with all of our shit to, to some other slum house, and then we'd start school again, et cetera. So I had gone to a number of school, 67 schools, right? and some of them multiple times. You ro- <laughs> rotated back. Exactly. Um, so then um, eventually I got kind of sick of that. I, I, uh, I, that's part of the reason why I did really good in school, because that was the thing that I controlled. Right. Right, was doing as much as I could at school, get away from the other stuff. So, um, plus going from school to school, you kind of had to be on your own self-paced program. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you never catch the next curriculum in the middle of, you know, right, you're Thursday not, you're at one school, right. Monday you're at a different school, right? Totally different multiplication tables at right. different times. I mean, but this was back when we all had library cards. Right. I mean, I'd spend hours in the library. In fact, uh, one uh, kind of an early story is... Uh, I would steal books from the school library because mm-hmm. I loved reading, and I had to. I had like a three, four hundred volume book collection. Yeah, and so I'd bring these books home. Not that anyone really gave a shit, but it would be like, "What are you doing with these books?" And it was uh, this is one of the few times we were at a place long enough where I could collect anything. Right. And then eventually the librarian came to the house and said, "This kid's like keeps taking books <laughs> out of the class." <laughs> so I would like you know he's I got more here than we do at the library. <laughs> so that was my big crime was uh, right. Was stealing the, the stealing the information. We always had hustles going on right. when I was a kid. Like uh, we'd we'd go down to one street and we'd be like, "Hey, uh, can you donate eggs to the food drive?" And then right. we get a dozen eggs. Then we go down the next street. You know, this egg represents an unborn child. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're collecting money for the March of Dimes. Right. And then we'd go down the next street, collect eggs. We ended up with enough money to go buy some Jolly Ranchers that we'd sell at school. My very first business. It's a nice parlay. I don't know if I ever told you my first business was uh, porn. No. Yeah, this was my first entrepreneurial venture. Hmm. So um, there used to be drive-ins. There used to be things called drive-ins. Okay. I don't know if you remember these from maybe the movie Grease or whatever. (laughs) Um, I've heard of them. And the front of the drive-in would be like a playground in front of the screen. And then in the back of the drive-in would be the projection thing, but underneath it would be the bathrooms and the concession stand. Right. And so we would go to the drive-in. Whoever you went with was always making out in the car. So you never actually went and stayed in the car. You would either go up to the playground or you would go back to the concession stand. Right. And so one time I was in the concession stand and I found like this, I don't know if it was Wii or Hustler. I mean, it was definitely not Playboy. Mm-hmm. It was like full on 
everything. Right. Magazine. So I found this. Uh, I must have been seven or eight years old. And um, we uh, had a laminating machine in like the fourth grade. Right. Fifth grade. The teacher at lounge or something had one. So we cut out these pictures from the, the porno mag, laminated them. You know, with all the really difficult decisions of, you know, you get the full spread on this side of the page, and on the other side of the page is right. this. So, you, which one do you choose? Right? You can get four Tough pictures. decisions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I was selling those laminated porn things until I got busted for that. You got busted. I got busted. I, I was always in trouble. Um, I staged a uh, a walk out of class because when I was in, um, I think it was Wilmer Hutchins Elementary School. Which the school district was so bad, they shut it down, closed all the schools, made it part of the Dallas Independent School District. That's how bad the school district was. No shit. Um, but my nephew and I were like the only white kids in the whole school. It was like sixty-five percent African American and like thirty percent Latin. Um, and then Latino. you, and then two percent, a couple Asian guys, <laughs> the poor Vietnamese guys, and then us. And um, they had a sickle cell anemia screening day. Right. And so, like, okay, everybody, line up, uh, you know, Skip, you, you don't need to go. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I might have this. All right. So I demanded. I remember the principal's name was uh, Principal Knotts. All right. And, I, um, and uh, I demanded a sickle cell anemia test. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I was negative. But yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. But when I was 14, I, uh, I got emancipated while, when I was at Boys Ranch. Right. So when I came back from Boys Ranch um, – I had an apartment on my own. I lived off Social Security survivor benefits. I mean, free lunch my entire life. Right. Welfare, every kind of welfare you can imagine, food stamps, when they were actually stamps. Right. Um, I mean, every every program you can imagine, up through Pell Grant, up through me being in the military, up through Hazelwood paying for my school, I've taken advantage of every federal and state right. welfare program there is, but... Um, I've, I've, over, I've more than paid it back now, right. but for yeah. sure. So yeah, the, um, you know that's kind of that's kind of why I've you know that's kind of how I got to where I was at. Right. You know. You, know. you talk about the Xerox thing at all or no? Um, I mean we can. I mean it's a, kind of a boring story. I a friend of mine and I started a business and then we ended up selling it to Xerox. Made a few bucks. The end. The end. <laughs> yeah. Fuck man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Cool story, bro. And there's a letter right there. The, the food stamp story is a lot more interesting than that one. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, kind of where you came from and, and, and how you turned into the person that you are is, is always fascinating. You know, I think you did tell me the porn story before, though. I didn't, I, you didn't tell me that you got busted. I just figured that it just kind of yeah. died out or you ran out of images. Out of images. Uh, I, at one time, I had the NAIA record for home runs in a single season. No shit. I was a really good baseball player. Um, I played Little League. It was one of the few things that I could kind of do wherever I would go, you know, to kind of make new friends. You know, right. when I would come into a new place, I could immediately drop into the school. Um, play some ball? Yeah, play ball. And then um, I ended up getting a scholarship to play American Legion ball when I was in high school. And then I, I, I actually played with a guy named Track Bledsoe, uh, Todd Van Poppel, and Reed Ryan, Nolan Ryan's son, on American Legion team out of Arlington. And... Um, because there were scouts coming for those guys, Todd Van Papa went to the A's straight out of high school. Um, 
Reed Ryan was Nolan Ryan's son. Right. I mean, he eventually went to TCU, but I went to Texas for about two weeks, got cut, and then I went to play at Wesleyan, then I played at Mary Harden, then I played at Baylor. So, did you think you could make it to the major leagues or no? No, I could have been in. I could have been in um, minor leagues. Right. Probably. I mean, Sparky Anderson. I don't know if you remember him. He was a great no, GM. I'm not a big baseball guy. He he he, he, he he was the Tigers manager at the time. So yeah, it was Detroit. And he he pulled me aside and said, "Hey, you have one of the best natural swings I ever I've ever seen on a wow. slow white guy." <laughs> so what happened? Um, I went in the Navy. I got married. Had to have a paycheck. Right. Plus, they were offering the signing bonus, so that was I got sucked into that. You're like sweet fucking recruiters, man. There's no liars. Do you ever? Um, yeah, right. No better Fuckers. liars in the world. Yeah. Um, you ever regret how it kind of played out, or no, man? You know, I don't really regret anything. I mean, the hurricane turned into Roman craft to back. Right. The, every bad thing that's ever happened to me has turned into something good. So, right. Yeah. So here you are. Yeah, I mean, you know, just living it up in the basement of a fucking cigar <laughs> retailer store. Yeah, exactly. You know, living the dream. So what were you gonna say? You were gonna say something else? No, I mean, like even getting sick in Nicaragua. I mean, I almost right. died. So I mean, that was a scary. Even that turned moment. into a positive thing, I guess. Yeah. Because you're still here, that. you know. Well, I also found out I had this heart defect, which right. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. Yeah. So. So now, if shit hits the fan, you, you got something attached to you. Yeah, I got a defibrillator. Right. It's like a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. Right. It's nice. So, you know, if all of a sudden shit sucks, you start going like this. And fucking, well, you know you always like, hear yeah, about these the guys hospital. that, like, die of a heart attack? Right. Like, that's never going to happen to me. Right. I might die because my heart fails. Right. But I'm not going to die of a heart attack. Right. I'm, like, I'm walking around with paddles. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I have so many great You're ready meals. to go. Well, yeah. I mean, you need that two-hour drive to fucking Managua to be covered. I'll tell you something, though. This is why Mike Rosales is losing so much weight. Right. Because I almost died. His wife basically said to him, look here, fat ass. Get your shit together. <laughs> Get your shit together. And that's why he lost so much weight. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little more detail than that, that story. but That's you know. pretty much it. Yeah. Also, the real thing was he saw a picture of me and him together, and he was fatter than me. Yes. He was, like, sitting in front of an ice cream bowl or something, yeah. and he's like, that's it. I'm losing weight. It was crazy because, you know, the first time I met, you know, Rosales, I mean, he was fucking skinny as a rail. You know, and then progressively over time, I'm a, I'm not a great influence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying, trying to keep up with me. Thousand calorie stout beers per fucking pull. You know, <laughs> that'll do it to you. You want to ask the questions, Michael? Are the questions. Well, how much time do we got so far? Uh, okay. You're at an hour forty two minutes. Okay, let's do the five questions. All right. All right. Well, one person living or dead, would you like to share a cigar with? Um, probably my mom. Yeah. Um. You know, she was a big cigarette smoker. Right. But, you know, um, I visited her grave because I was young when she died. Right. Right. But I visited her grave. She was born in. Every single person I knew, how much longer they got to spend time with their dad. It becomes a benchmark, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you know, I'm like, and to a point where I'm like, I need to stop this. Like, this is fucking insane. You know, all I'm doing is just beating myself over the head. Right. You know? Um. So yeah. Well, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, mean, get, I mean, there's going to be the Skip Martin Memorial Show. Right. Believe me, you're going to make it longer than me. But <laughs> you're going to play this, and, and that's that's the deal. Is you know, I probably could probably take better care of my health. Um, you know, you think so? I, I live a pretty good lifestyle, <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, I've I've worked on submarines. I've right. been in. 
I've shot missiles at countries. Right. And, you know, I've I've been to 34 different countries or something like that. Right. I mean, I've had five passports because they've gotten full of stamps. That's pretty good. Um, That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So there's not much. I mean, there's literally nothing that, like, hey, I want to do this. Right. Th- that I haven't done. I mean, right. I wanted at one point I wanted to be a hot air balloon pilot. Right. That was kind of my goal. <laughs> it's it's not too late. Yeah, it's still time. <laughs> I don't recommend you doing that in Esteli, but you know, uh, trying that out. In, in, Here's in the, the problem. U- yeah. I weigh so much. Right. That I can only take one other person with me. Okay. Well, Arlen's like. <laughs> That's the other thing I've always wanted to be to do uh, parachuting. Right. But if you're over 250 pounds, um, that's a no go. Right, it's not happening. All right. Yeah. So. Those are yeah. There's a couple yeah. Skinny guys like you don't understand <laughs> that, but you don't understand the struggle. <laughs> but yeah, that's the. Um, those are the only two things I haven't done that I regret that I haven't done. Right. Hot air balloons. But I still eat pretty good though. Skydiving. Wait, so where, does, where does parachuting? Jumping out of a plane? Jumping out of a plane with the big... Oh, that's skydiving. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you have to do so many jumps with someone else. Right. And you can only be 250 pounds to do that. Right. So I may have missed the the boat on those two things. All right. I I think that's okay. All right. What one fictitious person would you like to share a cigar with? An honest politician. (laughs) 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 Uh, Great great answer. Yeah, I don't know... um, I mean, I think Winston Churchill is always a great answer, but... Um, but he's a real person. He's not fictitious. Yeah. I think... Um, I don't know. Maybe some of these characters out of the, you know, the Western books, you know. Right. Mad Max. Mad Max would be great. Right. I don't know. I, you know, I think I'm at a point in my life where it's like, come share a cigar with me. Right. You know, and I don't mean that in an egotistical way. It's like uh, I just would rather share what you know with someone else than right. Yeah, than the other way around. Yeah, there's not. I don't know. I mean, a lot, I don't know that there's anybody. You know, we talk about master blenders all the time. Right. I've sat down and smoked with them, right. all of them, everyone you can name. I've sat the down. The fake had, ones and the real ones. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> There's, you know, honestly, there's almost nobody. There's nothing, almost nothing in my life that I would want to do that I haven't done. Right. So, I've got that going. Right, Which what, is nice. What's your favorite cigar? My favorite cigar of all time is the Eladio Diaz birthday cigar, uh, specifically the 54 ye- uh, year old one. Okay. Uh, Doc Diaz for a while would uh, David Diaz would give me. That was one of my always annual weasel attempts was to get a couple of these off of Doc and. Um, it's always a great cigar. Now they've kind of commercialized it. It's not as what it used to be, but um, that's my favorite that I've ever smoked. Right. What's your favorite Roma Craft cigar? Um, you know, I, I smoke more tobacco than I smoke cigars, mm-hmm. right. which Mike can relate to. But um, I smoke the Intrigue more than anything. Mm-hmm. But I I oscillate between like if you go to my house because like generally when they're packaging something i'll grab a, some segundos so like in my house right now i have the aquitaine mastodon the chromatic mastodon i've got the don bosco right um i've got um i've always got some neanderthals usually the hs uh the fiorellas the wonderlust robusto 
the HOXD, the short Neanderthal. Because what happens is, is I, sm- I smoke, I'm up 20 hours a day, 18 hours a day, so I smoke constantly. Right. Um, so I, I generally will smoke. More than 1.7 a month? <laughs> yeah, I, I generally smoke probably 10 or 12 a day, no bullshit. Right. But I, I sometimes, especially when I'm working, I don't get a lot of time sitting there just smoking. Right. right. So I'll, be, I'll smoke a cigar for 30 or 40 minutes, and I switch to a different cigar for 30 or 40 minutes. Then I'll start smoking tobacco and smoke a half inch, smoke a half inch, smoke a half inch. A lot of times when stuff's coming out of packaging, I'll grab a few just to make sure that they're good. Sometimes when there's something aging that we want to take out, and I, and I, and you know I'm not sure if it's ready or not, I'll grab one and smoke an inch of it. Um, sometimes a lot of times I'll cut cigars in half, start it in the middle, right? Kind of see how how it is, but um. You'll also trim the foot, the wrapper off of a foot of a cigar. I do that a lot, especially cigars I haven't smoked before. Right. Get yeah. the experience of the different, uh, the filler binder yeah. and wrapper all differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it changes a lot. I mean, I, I, I get the advantage of, you know, I can walk in and grab anything. I have right. three or 400,000 cigars at any given time. Right. I like stuff right off the table, too, a lot. As long as Esteban doesn't charge you for them. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I was going to ask about the ones that uh, Fiorella found. Oh, when she yeah, floor. when she turned my tray over. <laughs> That's, she's actually pretty good. She'll go grab a cigar, and she knows the difference between them. So, like you say, go get me the brown one. Go get me the black one. Go right. get me the chrome mag, the octane. Yeah. Or sometimes she just brings you her cigar because she right. wants you to smoke the Fiorella. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. She doesn't. She doesn't tear them up as much as she used to. She's getting older. Yeah. You know. Well, there was that one post that I saw that there's all those cigars on the floor. Yeah, she yeah. kind of yeah. knocked the tray over. And then she's like, uh-oh, disaster. <laughs> disaster. Uh, disaster. Uh, Our favorite word. All right, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Mm. Or that you gave yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I take advice from people all the time. I mean, you know, um, so when, uh, I mean, I've thought about this question a lot um, from hearing the different podcasts, but mm-hmm. I think... And this is advice I kind of have always given my kids, too, is um, it's not really about um, being really great at everything. It's about knowing when it's all done that you did everything you could do to uh, prepare and to execute to the best of your ability. And so, like, you know, my daughter would just fall apart if she, you know, she she would just get to halfway through algebra and and then she was not doing well so she would just give up and then fail right and my point was look bring home a c if the c is the best you can do right there's no shame in a fucking hard-earned c right but that's what math is but you gotta persistence but you gotta fucking earn it like you know when you when you fail and you say well it's too hard i did the best i could but i didn't see you working on extra problems i didn't see you asking for extra help right i didn't you know when i was uh probably uh What is uh, Little League Pony? How old is that? 10, 11 years old? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah so I had never played baseball uh, at all. I mean, we played, like, at school or whatever. But um, I was living in Wilmer, and it was probably my worst run as a kid. And the um, we, we, we would get into fights all the time. And lose eighty percent of them. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. half of learning how to fight is learning how to take a beating. Right. 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 So we would put we would play these really rough, like tackle the man, and you know get 
black guys and nosebleeds and fractured fingers and I mean, it was rough, rough, rough. Like that. I mean, there was no like you know sharks in the jets kind of gang right. warfare, but <laughs> the bloods in the crypts. But it was tough neighborhood. Right. And um, I noticed all the kids, the, the tough guys, were always in this this baseball um, like little league, like uh, what they call Optimist. Right. I don't know if they still have that, but it was called Optimist Little League. And it was all donated equipment and everything. Right, like something they could do to kind of turn them around. Yeah, so I went down, and I talked to the volunteer coach who was, uh, you know, a local guy. You know, probably at that time he was probably 25 or something. I thought he was an adult, you know. And I said, hey, I want to play baseball. And he goes, have you ever played? And I was like, no. He's like, well, look, th- there's two things that can happen. I could put you out there. You can, I can make you look stupid. Then, then your situation is going to be worse than all these other kids. Or... You can come before we practice, rake out the field, um, pick all the rocks out of the infield, take all the trash, do all that stuff, and I'll give you money. And then my buddy runs the batting cage. If you can walk a couple miles up the road to the bat- get batting cage, go-kart batting cage place, then he'll give you half price. On, I'll tell him to give you half price. And then you go in there and you practice hitting a ball, and when you get good at it, then you can come back. I'm like, okay. So I did that for like three months. And I would go hit balls in the batting cage until I had blisters. I'm like nine, ten years old. I mean, right. I had nothing else literally to do. Right. But I would hit balls. In, I mean, I would clean up. I would go get the tokens. I would, I would hit balls in the batting cage until, um, until I, you, I couldn't move the next day. That's how, I mean, I would hit thousands and thousands of balls. And by the time I actually picked up a bat and swung at a real pitch, I was a great hitter. Right. And then I still went to the batting cage faster and faster, bigger and bigger. And because it just became a thing that I did three, four, five hours a day, I probably hit, I mean, it's not an exaggeration, I probably hit four or 500,000 balls in a batting cage. So by the time I got to high school and I would move school to school, I would walk on the field and say, I'm a decent fielder. I played infield, but I'm a great hitter. And they go, okay. Let's see what you can do. And immediately I would make the team. Right. So it was – but the thing was is I did all the work knowing, you know, if I I didn't do well on any particular situation, I I knew that I had left everything out there. Right. Right. And that's the way I've done everything in my whole life, you know, whether it was the Navy or whether it was uh, um, porn, college. Right. Or whether it was being a porn <laughs> magnet, porn. or whether it was uh, the cigar store or the cigar brand, I, you know, did all the work, right, and then gave your all. Yeah, and I've never looked back on a situation and thought, I kind of half-assed that. Right. I, I've I never wrote, wrote that one in. I've never half-assed anything. I don't think. Right. That's a great answer. That's it. That's the questions. How do people get in touch with you? With me personally? No, Instagram. Uh, Chief Havo on Instagram. At Chief Havo. Skip Martin on Facebook. No, you don't, you don't want to go on his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a, I've, I've got like a saying for you. I don't know if I've said it in front of you. I probably have said it in front of you. But, you know, when it comes to like stuff, uh, how you operate on social media, especially Facebook, it's, you know, say what you want about Skip Martin, but you're going to say something. Well, you know what it is, is I'll sit and watch TV. Or I read a lot of news. I read news uh, books. And, right. And, and then I'll see something, and then I'll go, this is crazy. 
Right. I mean, I really feel like, and this doesn't happen enough in today's society. So I think, you know, everybody says don't talk about religion, politics, or sex, sex I guess. I don't know why you would not want to talk. I usually say sports teams. That yeah, that's goes, a new one, right? That shit goes fucking nuts. Oh, uh, oh, whoa, whoa. Philadelphia oh. Eagles fans are nuts. Giants fans. I mean, like, they're, they're fucking. It's but like politics a, has become like that. Right. So, you know, like, there's this, you know, you be in the stands. And there's this irrational hate for some guy because he's wearing the Dallas Cowboy uniform. Right. But then when he comes to play for your team. Like, yeah! Exactly. <laughs> and and it's just based on this random. I mean, if you think about it, what religion you are is based on what family you were born into. Right. So uh, Socialization. What political leanings you have generally is what you were born into. Yeah. Your circumstances. I mean, like me, you know, I'm a capitalist. Obviously, right. I'm a capitalist, right? right? That's what I do. Um, but I also understand what it's like to be poor. Right. I understand what it's like to go days without eating. Right. I understand what it's like to be beaten with a with a fish. Uh, you know those boards that they carve fish on? Right. With the, the hard edge of that thing. You know, I, I know what it's like to be locked into a to a uh, shed for three days with nothing to eat. Right. You know, I, I've been through all those things. I, I, I live in a country where even the hardest working, honest, most honest people will never exit the cycle of the economic situation they're in. Right. So, of course, there's lazy, good-for-nothing people. Right. Of course, there's people who take advantage of the system. Right. Of course, there's people who will just steal from you. Right. For no reason. I mean, we, we recently had this situation. Right. Right. Um, the way I look at it is in Nicaragua, you have bars on your front door, you have walls, you have all these things but because you can't trust the police. Right. Here, we just pay a certain amount of tax so that the poor people get enough to, to not rob you in the street. Right. Essentially. Right. So, but I also know if it hadn't been for welfare and Social Security death benefits and food stamps and free lunches and public schools and... Pell Grants and the military and all the other things that I took advantage of. Right. And I'm a white guy. Right. Right? White privilege, whatever you want to call it. Um, you probably would have been dead a long time ago. Yeah. Well, start a fucking right. drug ring or something. I don't know. But The underboss of Texas. Porn. <laughs> some shit. Porn empire. A porn empire or something, yeah. But, um... So, yeah, that's what influences my politics is right. my experience, right? Right. So I, I have – the thing about politics is you, you, can't argue, you can't argue ideology. Right. And what I mean by that is it came by gun. Mike is pro-life. Mike, we both grew up Catholic. I left the Catholic church years ago. Right. Um, Mike still goes to church every Sunday with his kids. Even if he's out of town, he goes to mass. <clears throat> um. Mike is really very pro-life, right? Me- meaning, rape, incest, whatever. There's no excuse for abortion, right? Right. I grew up with seven sisters, two daughters, uh, three daughters, a, uh, a whole different perspective about what happens when you get pregnant at 13, 14. Right. Your uncle gets you pregnant, you know, whatever. So while I don't support abortion, I support 
a woman. I mean, if men had vaginas, abortion wouldn't even be an issue. Right. Right. If if men could get pregnant, abortion wouldn't even be a question. You know, but do I, I don't think it's a good thing. But if you ideologically believe no matter what, you you know you believe one thing, and I believe another thing for a lot of other reasons. We can never have a discussion about that. Right. You believe one way, I believe another. Let's just agree to disagree. Right. Right. But you can you can talk about a policy. You can talk about Obamacare, right? And say this is this issues, and this is what I think, and why I think it, right? And you you can say your piece, and then we can figure something out and move on, right? Right? Um, but what's happened is the barbershop, the cigar store, the place where guys in a community would get together, the the women over tea. Uh, one of the main reasons why prohibition came around is because the religious people didn't like women drinking tea because that would allow a bunch of women to get together and talk about things without men having an influence on it. Right. And that's when they got these crazy like ideas like they wanted to vote and do all these things, right? <laughs> Ridiculous. Right. So um, that's where people in a community used to talk. Right. Right. They used to get together at the barbershop and say, hey, there's this good-for-nothing guy down here right. who beats his wife. You know, we got to do something about that. Right. And, you know, somebody would go down there and say, look, man, you need to stop drinking. The guy at the bar is not going to sell you booze anymore. Next time I see you put a hand on your wife, we're all going to come down here and beat the shit out of you. Right. Right? Or you know, somebody had an issue or there was, an, there was a, a, a political thing that was happening in a town and, and people would figure it out. And because we're afraid to talk about politics anymore, a lot of those – like if you and I sit down and talk about politics, we may disagree on things, but you could eventually understand why I think at least right. why I think the way I think. Well, I mean that's what any normal human being. So those do. are the kind of conversations I try to have, which is right. You know, let's all agree it's not a good thing. Right, and can we go from there? That our president does some of the things he does. Right. Let's let's agree. Lower taxes have been great for me this year. Right, <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot of I don't like the way the Democrats do this. I don't like the way that some people do that. Right. But let's at least talk about it. And I feel like with so many people going back and forth with these empty arguments, that there needs to be at least as a person who has a little bit of influence, I could use it to tell to tell you to tell you tell you which. Right. Or I can use it to say, hey, you know, go out and vote, but know what you're voting for. Right. And. You know, some people say, well, you, you put your business at risk. And look, if you if you don't like what I say and you're not going to buy a cigar because of that, then, you know, fuck you. Right. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. Right. Like, you know, if and, and there's a lot of those guys. Like, I posted a picture of Beto and said, look, you know, say what you want to say about the guy. But, I mean, put an honest race together. And Beto is not a liberal. He's a moderate. And he did a pretty pretty decent job doing it, running a fair, good campaign in Texas. And I posted a picture of it, and some guy comes out and goes, "Well, if you like that guy, I got to unfollow you." I'm like, "Well, goodbye." You know, like right. this is not an airport; you don't have to announce your departures. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. So. Right. Um, Great. We're teaching people not to have discussions about politics or religion. What we need to do is just, is teach people how to have civil discussions about. Right. Yes, and, and it's not dealing absolutes. One of the first rules of that is let's let's agree to some ground rules, which is number one, let's not argue about ideology. Right. Because there, you know, if you believe in uh, taxes as theft, then let's not have tax discussions because right. 
Taxes are not theft. Taxes is how we pay things. We, right. as a democracy, agree to allow the government to taxes. Right. Do we waste money? Absolutely. Right. But is now we can fact? have an argument about do we spend too much on the military or do we not spend enough on educating school kids? Right. There's a whole – I mean, we were in the, coming in through immigration, uh, coming into the country uh, this trip, and there, there's apparently some kind of a robot competition going on, like high school robot teams. No shit. And so at the same time we were coming in through immigration, there was uh, eight or ten different groups of kids coming through the immigration line. Mm -hmm. There was, like, all these Chinese kids, all these kids from Taiwan, all these kids from Korea, all these kids from uh, 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 Poland or something, right. Russia. Because they were all wearing the uniforms. I'm like, you know, like, this is crazy, all these robot kids. It's like, are we raising kids? To build right. robots? I mean, are we winning those competitions? Right. Because if we're not, we, you know, maybe we should be doing more of that. Right. True. Hey, I'm going to cut you off right there because we want to make sure that we save this content where the computer's starting to fucking go nuts. Okay. So. Was it, maybe it's a lost episode. God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll charge for this one. So go ahead and uh, hit the button and save it and if we can go. Okay, as you can tell, we're starting to have a little bit of a technical problem with the 1972 Apple computer that I have to use. So uh, this episode shuts down here, and let's get ready for the next one. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from the Correctional Institution. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, thank you for using Tnetics. <laughs> This has been a Cigar Hustlers podcast, a Mike and Mike production. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for all new episodes with some of the biggest names in the cigar industry. You can follow the guys on Instagram at Cigar Hustler for Mikey and FCC underscore Mike for Mike 2. You can also follow the show on Instagram at a Cigar Hustler podcast and on the Facebook page and the all new YouTube channel. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whichever podcast provider you choose. Thanks for listening. Mike, Mike.